0: Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. The man next to me is Lance Meadow. I am John Schmelk, and the phone number for you is 201-939-4513. Or if you prefer, you can hit us up on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat. We'll try to squeeze in your calls along the way. we we'll have a busy show at 1230. Uh, Chicago Bears radio analyst Tom Thayer will join us. But off the top of the show, we're going to talk about the newest member of the New York Football Giants. That's Sam Beal. His defensive backs coach last year was Corey Sanders, who's now the Pittsburgh Panthers safeties coach, Corey, you got John Schmoke and Lance Meadow here in East Rutherford, New Jersey at the Giants facility. How are you today? Thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, I'm doing good, John. Lance, uh, thanks for having me on today. Doing great today.
0: Well, let's get right to it, Sam Beal, and I guess we'll start with broad strokes. What should Giant fans expect when Sam gets on the field for the first day of training camp in a little over a week?
1: Uh, once you get to the field, what I think uh, for, for those guys to expect, you, you're going to get a physical competitor. Uh, Sam is a very physical football player that just loves to compete. No matter, you know, football, workouts, whatever it is, you put the kid in a competitive setting, he wants to win, and he's determined and gritty to win. I just look at him as, as a true blue-collar, hard-working kid. Coach,
2: you came in right before his junior year. What were your first impressions yeah. of Sam when you first saw him versus when you left the program, and he now has left the program, how much strides and how much progress he's made?
1: Uh, I, th- I think Sam has matured so much um, over the time because that sounds like Sam is a true competitor. Um, so if, if something like if you saw early on, when things didn't go well sam Sam was so competitive and he never wanted to lose you know he he was just he was hard on himself um and he still is hard on himself but but as you were as I was with him for that year, you really saw him all right you know understand, work through the mistakes, and really go back and win that next rep or whatever the time was around. So you really saw his maturity grow um from that standpoint of just, you know, in the instances that that he may not have won, of how he came back and and he did um, work through those issues and win those next reps or win that next rep against the receiver, against the same route concept, or what may have been. So you really saw him work through uh, adverse times and continue to uh, mature and grow through that um, in my 12 months of working with him.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something he's going to have to figure out how to do when he shows up here with the Giants because now Sam is is kind of in a tougher spot than almost every other rookie in the league. They've at least been in the practice yeah. facility, been on the field, learning the defense, right. learning what it means to be a pro for the last couple of months. He's going to show up and just be thrown right into the deep end of the pool. And yo, oh, there's Odell Beckham <laughs> Jr. Go cover him. Uh, how do you think yeah. he, he's going to handle having to pick up on – Everything the NFL has to offer on and off the field in such a short amount of time.
1: I think Sam is very excited and and ready to go. Um, Because even when you look at it, you just look at Like I said, Sam's grown a lot over the last 12 months of just, you know, things going wrong and just going full force right at him and getting things fixed. And you even look at it right now, his situation isn't normal from the step, from the standpoint of being in a supplemental draft. You know, everybody else had three, four months to prepare for all these tests and, and to do everything off the field to be ready for the draft. And, you know, Sam, you know, I, I think he had about three or four weeks to prepare for his pro day. And, you know, as he prepared for that, I felt like he handled the situation great and, you know, turned out some really good numbers. And, and you know, I, I think he really showed throughout that process his maturity of where he's at. And I know right now, just text him the other day. I know he's out there come Saturday, um, full force, and, and he's ready to just, dive into the playbook and just be around football all day long. So I think he, he, he's most definitely uh, ready. He's ready for this opportunity, and he's ready for the challenge. He's ready for the challenge and ready to overcome the challenge um, and be ready to go uh, once that fall camp comes.
2: Talking with Corey Sanders, he was Western Michigan DBs coach for Sam Beals' junior year. He's now Pitt safety's coach. Coach the Giants, their defensive coordinator James Betcher, he loves to move personnel around. And when you look at Sam Beals' statistics as well as his skill sets, I mean, he seems to be a versatile corner in terms of his size and his speed. How much was he utilized on the outside versus inside, and where do you think his main strength is as he makes the move to the NFL?
1: Um, I, I think you know you look at him; he's a six-one long corner. Um, so that that's obviously a big strength. I mean, he's six one, and I mean he can run. Sometimes you look at those taller, long guys. You know, the, you you think those guys only have long speed, just a to b fast. Um, but Sam can drop his hips, and he has short area quickness and transitions, just like a five ten kid. So you know you're you're looking at a long guy that can match up with guys on the perimeter. Um, And and I think he's versatile enough to be able to do other things because of, you know, being able to drop his hips and being able to flip his hips and just his transitions and and his bursts and breaks coming out. So, you know, I see him primarily being used um, on outside and that's what we did with him at Western. I mean, we were fortunate enough um, to have two very good cornerbacks, um, you know, the previous year, and just to be able to line up and play cover four and just have those two guys take care of the the outsides and let us do whatever we wanted with the box with the other nine guys, uh, which was very blessed. Uh, Sam would always want to mess around and go to safety, and I, I just never <laughs> let him. I still <laughs> remember one. I, he always wanted to. One time when we were doing some prep uh, bowl game stuff, he's like, Coach, come on, let me go to safety. I'm like, Sam, just go let some of these young guys get some reps, and he slides in there. I remember, he slides right in there, son of a gun. He slides in there, and they literally run a, a smash concept. Sam, so you see his pedal, and you see him break on the corner route. As soon as that, as soon as that slot starts to drop, his, his he breaks on that corner route, and he almost picks the ball off. I mean, he, he got hands on it and, it, and it was beautiful. And he just looks at me, and he starts smiling. He said, I told you. I said, get your tail off the field now. <laughs> um so, I, you know, the, the kid, I mean, he can do some special stuff even on slots, but that's just where he was asked to be used, to, to go towards their top receivers and, and take them out of the game. Um, I remember last year against Eastern Michigan, you know, they had a really good receiver coming in that game. And I mean, you, you watch Sam. Sam doesn't let him off the line of scrimmage. Well, coach, and he takes yeah. pride in being physical. <laughs> he takes pride in it.
2: Well, those are – characteristics I don't think the Giants coaching staff is going to complain about. One of the things you just touched on was you said, you know, he was part of a talented secondary. And one of the players I think you were alluding to was Darius Phillips, who was drafted by yeah. the Bengals in the fifth round this year. I think from Western Michigan's perspective, Coach, unique to have two starting corners eventually then jump to the NFL in the same year. How well did the two of them play off of one another? The reason I ask that is, you know, he comes to the Giants. He's got Janoris Jenkins. He's got Eli Apple and chemistry, obviously, is a big part of how the secondary works.
1: Yeah, I think those I think those guys played off each other well. I, I think that room as a whole, like those guys were very supportive. Uh, those guys were very supportive. Uh, you know, there was times as, as I came in as a new coach of switching the secondary up. Like, yeah, Sam was the starter, and he had a great sophomore year, but there was times where I switched it up just to see how – you know, how, how does he face that being a number two? And uh, even Darius, like just switching up uh, who the starters are and that and, and throughout camp and everything. And, and I'll tell you just how, how do they match and, and how that secondary played well together. I'll tell you, when things like that happen, those guys were full supportive of the next guy. And they just went out there and worked. And even if that next guy for that week or whatever was ahead of them, they were still coaching that guy up and watching him, you know, while reps were going on trying to help him out, even if he thought that guy was taking his spot or not. So um, I think he's very supportive of of his teammates. And um, like I say, I, I think his mentality is he just shows up and he, and he goes to work. Um, so I think he's going to be supportive of all the guys in the secondary. And he, he wants to see guys succeed, Um, And at the end of the day, I think in the back of his mind, he knows he's just going to outwork the guy next to him. That's the way I look at him, his mentality.
0: We're joined right now um, on the phone by Sam Beals, defensive back coach last year at Western Michigan. Um, Corey Sanders, now Pittsburgh safeties coach. Corey, you mentioned his physicality at the line of scrimmage, and Lance mentioned James Betcher's scheme in his previous question. Uh, you look at you look at some of the analytics from the last couple of years. He played primarily press man and cover three with a single high safety. That's kind of what he does. That's what his scheme is. How does Sam fit in? I, I know he did a lot of press man for you guys into that, and also in a cover three scheme.
1: Yeah, I mean obviously the press man is what he even before we got there, they were a primarily uh, cover one team. So then we were a quarters team. So he's really worked that um, you know, high speed hands, just the progression that we talk we've talked about in press and, and that. So he he's really worked hard at that for the last uh three years. And um, you know, I on top of that with the with the zone stuff of getting to some of the cover three stuff, um, a lot of things that we have done. Um, we played some cover three. We we did play some cover three and, and mix it up. We did we did a lot of stuff from a press standpoint. So mm-hmm. bailing out um, and getting to the cover three. Not a lot of off. Um, now he he has had practice with the off as we went through one on ones just to get them that work. Um, but I you know I think like anything he he's going to put in the work um, for it. And, you know, the times that we did get into it, um, you know, I, I felt like he was perfectly fine. He caught on well. Um, you know, he's going to get out there and, you know, get those walkthrough reps, get those extra reps in um, to succeed at it. Um, so, you know, the press is something that he's majored in more than the zone coverage. Um, but he's going to put the work into the zone coverage and, and you know, take to what, what does that coach? Because no matter what, no matter what zone we coached here, it's going to be a different zone in how it's taught, um, you know, at the next level or the next scheme. So you're going to have to be ready to adapt and adjust um, no matter what uh, you're moving into. So, you know, I, I think he's ready for that. And, um, You know, I think he has good feel out there. and I mean, he's a former receiver, you know. He's a former wide receiver coming out of high school, too. Um, So, finding that ball and and good ball awareness and locating that ball um, as well. So, um, I think he'll be perfectly fine in the zone coverage, um, you know, as he gets up there and and take to the coaching and the techniques, um, you know, of how that coach wants it, um, you know, done up there.
2: Well, Coach, what you just mentioned, given his background as a wide receiver, great hands obviously is a key skill and a key component that should help him in terms of his cornerback prowess on the NFL level. And the reason I bring that up is when you look at his career numbers, Coach, two interceptions, which he actually had 2017 when you were the DB's coach. And, you know, a lot of people, they love to look at corners, the interceptions, and that dictates maybe the aggressiveness and so forth of a player. The lack of interceptions over the course of his career is that a reflection of the scheme you guys ran,
1: or perhaps just the opportunities weren't there for him consistently? I, yeah, I think you got to look at two things. So he was primarily in a, a man, and he played a lot of man, so throughout his career. Um so I, I think as you look at that, guys that are playing man compared to playing zone where their eyes are always on the quarterback and they're getting more opportunities um for those interceptions. So he's played more in man schemes in the last three years. Um and I do think when you're pretty good you don't get targeted as much. That's true. Um That's so true. those opportunities don't present themselves as much as some other guys. I mean, you go through his film this year, um, you know, I I don't have it off the top of my head, but I, his targets weren't going to be high. Um, his targets weren't high, and I do know he gets his hands on a lot of balls. Um, I know you do see that. I'm not sure what his PPU's were, but I know he gets his hands on a lot of balls, and he's aggressive, and he finishes strong um, on receivers and on routes. But I'd have to say it's a mixture between, the, between both of them, uh, not being targeted as much, and um, at the same time, of being more of a primarily man team compared to a zone team where he has his eyes back on those quarterbacks more.
0: Coach, final question from me. Probably nobody has spent in the last year more time with Sam Beal than you have when it comes to football. Uh, give us some insight into the type of guy he is in the meeting room, uh, on the practice field, how he learns, how he deals with criticism from a coach. Because a lot of that is going to be very invaluable when he tries to hit the pro level in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, as you look at it, just from a coaching standpoint, um, I know Sam is very excited um, to get to know his next DB coach. Um, just texting him the other day and him ready to get out there. And, and just so you guys know, so when I first came to Western Michigan, they just came off the Cotton Bowl and a coaching change. And, you know, there's a lot going on. They didn't have coaches for six or seven days. Then, oh. you, know, I, you know, I got there with the new staff. And, you know, after our meeting and everything, you know, Sam's in my office waiting to beat me nice. um, on the outside. So I think that tells you a little bit about him there, and um, you know we had an instant connection coming from the same hometown and everything. But you know he, he he was in my office, you know, ready to sit down and talk to me, just to get to know me a little bit more. And I know he's very anxious to get to know his um his next DB coach um right now. Um, so that's a little bit about him, you know, from a coaching standpoint and where he's at and, and what he's ready to go out there and you know learn, uh, you know, in New York right now. Um. Now, the the other thing from, you know, what you get on the field, um, you know, I, I, I keep saying it, but, and you guys will see it as there, is just his his competitiveness and his hard work. Um, that's one thing, like Sam, every single day, um, you know, you go out there and every day we have, if it's the mat drills, the morning workouts, whatever it is, like I, I, I truly haven't seen a kid that just thoroughly likes to work like he does. Um, no matter to... what it is, plate pushes, um, you know the rope drills, just different things like every single day like he he comes to work and um, he's just competitive of wanting to win and beat the guy uh, across from him. Um, so once you get to the field, I, I think you're gonna get a competitive, hard, hard working, aggressive corner. Um, I, I do I think he's very aggressive. Um, you know, in his techniques and you see him on receivers, I think he's very physical on receivers and controlling receivers, um, in routes. So I think you're going to get that on the field. Then off the field, um, you know, Sam's just a, he, he's a quiet guy that doesn't bring a lot of attention to himself. Um, you know, you're not going to get a guy that's just, you know, out there and, uh, you know, a Hollywood guy. He, Sam's <laughs> just going to come out there and be a good off the field guy that just wants to show up and, and go to work. Um, he, he's a family guy, loves his mom, loves his brother, loves his family, and he's a family guy that cares about his family, um, and he's just going to be a quiet, humbled kid off the field. So that's sort of what I see, you know, looking from a coaching standpoint, he's anxious to come out, being anxious to come out there and learn and take in as much as possible, and his work on the field, and just a quiet, humble kid off the field, um, is sort of what I see out of him.
0: Well, Corey, next time you text with Sam, here's what you tell him. Lou, An- Lou Anarumo is, <laughs> is, is, is the Giants' defensive backs coach. Is assistant as DeShay Townsend. Both guys, and I can tell you Lou specifically, he will, on the field now, some coaches wait to the meeting room to coach guys up. He will coach him up on the field, and he will be as straightforward and black and white as you can be. So <laughs> if if, oh, yeah. if he's ready for straight talk, he's going to do well because he's going to get plenty of straight talk from Lou room Adar- uh, up here with the Giants. Sam's a straight shooter. He
2: likes it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to get plenty of it. Coach B, be, <laughs> be, before we let you go, on the subject of coaching, you know another facet of playing corner is helping in stopping the run. You, know, and you talked a lot about how well he is in terms of press coverage and so forth. What's jumped out to you about his ability to chip in in stopping the run, and you know, where could he improve overall in his game?
1: Yeah, he's not scared to step, step up in the run. I know i had guys ask about that. Like you, you look at some things. He had a big time TFL against Michigan State. I know he had some big hits against Ball State. Um, he he is physical. The one thing we just got to make sure we're working on wrapping, you know, because he he's a hundred. He was he played at one hundred ninety pounds. He's a six one hundred ninety pound corner. That's a that's a good sized corner right there. And he'll come up and make some hits. We just got to make sure we're finishing with the wrapping and rolling or, you know, the techniques that are going to be taught to him there um, where everything can't just be a big hit that the guy's going to go down. But, you know, coming up in run support, he's not shy to the run at all. He's not shy to to being put and placed into run support.
0: Corey, great stuff. We appreciate the time. Thanks so much for the insight on Sam, and we can't wait to meet him for the first time when he's here next week.
1: Thanks a lot, Coach. Appreciate it. All right, thank you so much, guys. Take care.
0: That's Corey Sanders. He was Sam Beal's defensive backs coach last year at Western Michigan, now the safeties coach down there in Pittsburgh. And tomorrow we're going to hear from Tim Lester, Western Michigan's head coach when Sam Beal was there. We already pre-recorded that interview. The full spectrum yes. we're going to get. So you're going to get that tomorrow. At the end of tomorrow's show, we're kind of splitting up a little bit. And I just want to react kind of off what we heard from both guys because I think, frankly, it was very consistent. Yeah. Um, quiet guy off the field, loves the game, hard worker. Um Long and fast at over at six six foot six one played at 190 pounds now, pro day he measured at 178. Uh, when we talked to the head coach Tim Lester, he seemed to indicate that he thinks he can get back up to 190 without a problem. That he was just very nervous about the pro day, so he didn't eat for a day or two, and <laughs> yeah. that's why his weight was so far down. We'll see about that. Um, mostly a man guy is going to have to figure things out in zone and he's going to work hard to catch up as quickly as possible but for any rookie that's probably going to be a challenge.
2: Yeah, and when you hear from Coach Lester tomorrow one of the things he talked about is having to make the transition to enter the supplemental draft and sort of get your workouts in and make and, sure that you take care of anything from a school perspective as well. And so, by
0: the way, the reason we didn't ask Corey about that is because he had left for Pittsburgh,
2: already, So he wasn't correct. there for that exactly. transition, which is why Where we is didn't ask him about it. The head coach was. So that's correct. W- That's why it's helpful to hear from different people mm-hmm. who are around Sam over the last few months. And Coach Lester's still around. So that, I think, will provide a glimpse of how he can catch up easily which is what we were talking about, the fact that he missed the entire spring with the New York Giants. Yeah, so I think it's exciting.
0: And look, the Giants are going to want him to contribute. They used a third-round pick on him. Um, yep. Obviously a third-round state-two pick is a, a real high-value asset. So uh, the hope he can come in, he seems like – just based on the personality, he seems like a Dave Gettleman type of player, which is maybe one of the reasons why the Giants decided to take him. Based on what he did, a lot of press man stuff, and he said he, he did a lot of press and bail into cover three, which is another thing James Betcher does. He seems to fit the scheme pretty well. And look, we've talked about it all offseason. Even heading into the draft, and I think we were all surprised the Giants didn't draft a cornerback uh, on draft day.
2: A little shaky depth-wise there. They needed some help, and... The hope is that Sam
0: Beal can, can step in and help out
2: there. Well, and John, as you just touched on the value aspect, because, you know, a lot of people always talk about draft picks are so important. You don't want to sacrifice them. And a third-round pick, let's say, in 2019, if you wind up getting first-round value out of that, because he was projected before he entered the supplemental draft as a first-rounder potentially, potentially in 2019. Next year. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, you know, listen, on the surface right now, I would say value – I mean, that could potentially turn into a steal. we got to see what happens, obviously, with him as a player. But you know, all you could do now is just look at it the value perspective. And I think that's how Dave Gettleman in the Giants' front office looked at it. Hey, if we can use a third-round pick in next year's draft, to get first round value on paper right now, we might as well roll the dice and take our chances. And that's the key. You're getting it now. In a year yeah. where the Giants needed help at the position, if the Giants
0: were sitting there and he was going to be the fifth or sixth cornerback and maybe inactive on game days, you know, may-
2: maybe they don't make that move. Maybe they don't put in the third round bid for him. But that's fair. They but they need some feel help there. Correct. And, and there's potential for him to play this year. And on top of that, by just him being around the team, John. Your third-round pick next year, if you just drafted a player, that's going to be now baptism by fire, whereas now you're going to have somebody with an entire year of experience. Though the problem is that that in his first season, he
0: has much less time to prepare because of the supplemental draft stuff because he's getting here so late. So I think we're going to have to be patient with him early because there's going to be a lot thrown at him. Luckily, the way every team works is – You know, you install everything once, and then you do it again, and now it's going to be installed again from scratch in the summer. Now everyone else has a leg up because they've seen it before, but maybe that'll help them along the way at least. But
2: we'll see. Well, and the good news is, listen, he's been preparing all along for the supplemental draft and workouts, so now he's going to make the quick transition from being in pads to now going back to pads. So I don't know if that's necessarily going to be tough for him. And, you know, as you mentioned in terms of the necessity for the Giants, The good news for the Giants is they've got Jenkins, they've got Apple looking to bounce back, and William Gay, who's a veteran guy who, to me, I'm penciling in in that slot position, John. Only in pencil, though. Only in pencil, correct. We've got to see what happens at training camp, but on paper... I think they've got three guys that they could put out there week one as their starting cornerbacks. And then Sam Beal and some of these other guys could very well be icing on the cake if they accelerate in terms of their production and their development. Now, both Sanders and Lester,
0: and this is the last thing we'll say about Sam before we take our one call, then we'll get to Tom Thayer, who covers the Bears at 1230. is their uh, radio analyst. I wonder if they're going to let him try to play slot a a little bit. His body type screams outside corner to me, 6'1", 190, long arms. You you, you scream outside. But both Tim Lester and I think Corey Sanders is actually a little bit more fierce about the opinion that his side-to-side short area quickness would allow him to play the slot if you want him to. So we'll have to wait and see if the Giants want to use him there. I would think considering the limited amount of time he has to get ready, they probably don't want to try to make him learn two positions at the same time yeah. given how much ground he kind of has to make and up. And how
2: challenging it is to play the slot at the yeah. NFL. Yeah, there's
0: this run defense there, and he mentioned, look, he has to wrap up better. If yeah. you're not wrapping up and tackling in the slot, you there's a lot of run responsibilities there. and Blitzing the quarterback, too. How much do you see James Betcher during uh, spring workouts blitz the cornerback? So uh, my guess is that maybe down the road, yes, yeah, slot, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think they're going to throw that at him right away and put him right into that mix of that
2: competition. But maybe I'm wrong. No, I think that's a fair point. But you know what? If he turns out to be a guy that can be versatile, where you move him inside and outside by year two or year three, that's not necessarily the end of the world. Oh, of course not. Because as we sure. mentioned, they have personnel right now on the roster. To me, Gay and Apple can both play inside and outside if needed. So, I mean, you have some options there. At least at the beginning stages of training camp, the preseason, the regular season, to put guys on the interior.
0: 201 Tom Thayer in a few minutes. In the meanwhile, it's Dave in
3: Cranford, New Jersey. He's up next. Dave, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, great analysis. I think you guys hit everything on, on the head with this. I think the interesting thing with him is we've talked about it before, is just the depth um, at the position. And, um, you know, you're probably right in that, you know, given the time, he's probably going to need, you know, a little bit more time uh, just to be able to, you know, get on the field productively, you kind of wonder given the, you know, propensity for the position, as you guys have both said in the past, with injuries and things, you know, if that doesn't come to, to, you know, be a benefit say week four or five or six, you know, I'm not looking for it, but but, um, you know, that's when he might be able to step in um, and be actually ready, and if there's someone a little banged up, that that could come into play. Yeah, Dave, and Dave, real, you know?
0: real, Dave, real quick, quite frankly, one thing I think you have to be worried about is that if, if he was doing real combine-level training where guys are trained to perform in drills and not perform on the football field, you talk a lot of these guys coming out of college where they're like, it's different, and... I hope he can transition from getting ready for his pro day, which was only, I think, a week and a half ago maybe, to getting into football mode to avoid the type of injuries you were talking about for other players. But for him, I think that's also very important. I wonder how quickly he's going to be able to make that transition so he's ready for camp and survives camp being healthy, which is important.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Hey, there's a great list. Uh, you, you guys always strike me as you always like to talk about some lists. Um, there's a new one that came out on NFL.com by Bucky Brooks. Mm-hmm. Who I really like um, and, and does a good job. Yeah, Buck awesome. Yeah, it um, just came out. I think this week. I don't know if you saw it, but it was listing the the top um, offensive and defensive play callers in the NFL as a tandem. So your offensive and defensive is, the two best yeah. per team, mm-hmm. and he actually listed the Giants as number five uh, with Shermer wow. and Betcher as the fifth out of the whole league. Um, and you know you would you would expect, you know, Eagles and Rams and, you know, a couple of Saints maybe. I forget the other other five, but but it's a great list to, to go through and it and and he and he listens there and I just think it's something for you guys to, you know, which I think we have talked about, but when you think about the season coming up, you think about all the personnel, you think about all the changes and all that sort of stuff. I think one of the biggest changes that Bucky's hitting on is you know who's calling the offense and who's calling the defense and what their experience is. You know it's and and there's just something about that where you can be a great offensive designer of plays. I mean, you go look at Atlanta last year as an example where they lose Shanahan and it's still the, the same great offensive talent, and they had a you know relatively speaking, they really fell back on offense and really held themselves back um, just because of the play caller. And I and I think that. You know, for the Giants to come into the season and to be in and to be looked at from an outside analyst in that top five, I think is is one, I think it's accurate, and two, I think it bodes well and, and should be a, a a really big impact on the season.
0: Hey, look, I'm a big fan of Betcher as a play caller. I think he's wonderful. Um, I think we have to and Dave, thanks a lot for the call. We appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for guys. I, thanks, guys. I, I think we have to see what Sharmer. I mean, yeah, he was great as an offensive coordinator. He has limited experience as head coach when he was at Cleveland. And I think there is a difference. And I know you're still calling plays and it's calling plays, right? But I still think calling plays as a head coach is a little bit different than calling plays as a coordinator. I just do. So I want to see how he does. Uh, it's just – it's odd that you would see him. And, look, I'm not arguing. I think Shermer's a very good offensive mind. We saw what he did with um, – Case Keenum last year. I mean, he did a great job with him. Um, and James Betcher has been phenomenal in Arizona the last three years. But I think that speaks to how much Bucky Brooks thinks of those guys as individuals to have them in his top five of play callers when they haven't even done it here with the Giants. <laughs> yeah, I think he's going year. on, like you said, right. the
2: production with Arizona. The Cardinals have been a consistent defense under Betcher. And yep. you look at what Shermer did with that Vikings offense, despite the fact that he had to use Sam Bradford and Case Keenum and lose his Dalvin Cook. And you know what? It's a perfect transition, John, because our next guest covers a team who also is making a transition with their play callers because they have a new head coach who is also an offensive coordinator with the Chiefs. And Absolutely. That's Tom Thayer. He is the radio analyst for
0: the Chicago Bears. Tom, you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow here in East Rutherford, New Jersey at the Giants practice facility. How are you today?
4: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate
0: it. And it's funny. We had a call yesterday, and the question they asked us was, what do you think the easiest game on the Giants' schedule is? <laughs> we had some fans hit us up on Twitter. Oh, it's got to be the Bears. It's got to be the Bears. It's got to be the Bears. Tell me why it's not the Bears.
4: You know, it's it's going to be a, a really fun experience to watch this thing unfold here for the next two or three years. But, you know, if they capitalize on all the weapons that they were able to bring in here and they're continuing to develop from their own roster and Mitchell Trubisky clicks at the right time with Matt Nagy and then the holdover of Vic Fangio on the defensive side of the football and they've been able to rebuild some positions there defensive backfield most importantly and hopefully now a guy like Leonard Floyd or Roquan Smith can step step up to the plate and continue to contribute to the defense so I do think when you look at the athleticism of Trubisky and his commitment to the facility, you look at Tree Cohen and Jordan Howard and Taylor Gabriel and Trey Burton, um, you know, you, you still have hopes for Kevin White. And I think Adam Shaheen and Deion Sims have a good chance to be helpful at the tight end position on the inside of the offense. And um, so I think there's a lot of offensive um, firepower, firepower here if it, if it all clicks.
2: Well, as you alluded to, a lot of new personnel, Tom, that the Bears offense is going to be showcasing this season. And to me, what's interesting is the receiving core because last year you didn't have a lot of household names. They went out, they got Allen Robinson. He's coming off a torn ACL. You know, they bring in Taylor Gabriel, who was a slot guy with the Falcons. And as you mentioned, Kevin White. He's played three games, or five games, excuse me, in the last three years. You know, let's start with Kevin White, Tom. What makes you think that, A, he's going to stay durable, he's going to stay on the field, and he's going to finally fill that void that they so desperately need?
4: You know, Kevin, my hopes for him is just the fact that he's dedicated so much of himself to really being a football player, but had so many, you know, injuries and limited his time. I just hope... For him, just as a just as a player to player, that you know everything uh, work out for Kevin White, but you know it, it, you're going to have to get reps in the field. And when you see him at OTAs, he shows all the signs of a high draft choice at the wide receiver position. He's a big guy. He runs his routes well. He's talented in the air, going after the ball. He can go across the middle and make catches. But you still there's still you know so many unknown things about him. I think the key ingredient to the receiver position is going to be Trey Burton because what I've seen out of him throughout OTAs, he's the most impressive receiver, wide receiver that they have on this team. And because he's this U-tight end and he's kind of split away from the offense, he's a a difficult matchup problem. So the more he controls the defense and the defensive backs, I think there's going to be more opportunities for the other guys. And you mentioned Allen Robinson, but – you know, don't have unreal expectations from him from game one because he is recovering from a knee injury.
0: We're joined by Tom Thayer, Bears radio analyst. What's Kevin White's health status now? Is he going to hit the ground running in training camp, doing everything, or are they still holding him back a little bit?
4: No way, man. He's ready to go. You know, <laughs> And he's gone on social media and put these pictures of himself in Hawaii and flexing in the background, kind of showing evidence of, you know, the results of hard work. But, right. Now, now it's just got to be about reps on the field, and if he is, if he is that guy in the Bears' click, that's another reason to worry about the Bears down the road or in the season and throughout their offensive development.
0: I'll tell you what, Tom, I loved the Bears draft class. I know this is going to be not not, not a position-specific question, but I thought James Daniels was a first-round talent. I thought Anthony Miller should have been in the same conversation with DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley. I was pounding the desk for him here with the Giants. I think he's wonderful. Roquan Smith, I think, is going to be a day-one impact player. Combine that with what they did last year with Trubitsky. Uh, The Bears are really trying to put – you mentioned some of the handful of veterans they brought in. But around a young group that I think it's a nice little group of guys that could really form a core of a pretty darn good team in a couple
4: years. Yeah, I, I agree. But, you know, I still my you know, it seems like before the season starts, there's always something I want to pay attention to to see if it, it, it develops. And last year, it was the defensive backs. This year, if you pay attention to the Bears and you think of the group of players within the 90s, you think of Eddie Goldman, you think of Jonathan Bullard, yep. Leonard Floyd, there's another guy, Roy Robertson Harris. If that was group of the 90s, if they click, if they play good football along the progress of their NFL career, the Bears are going to be good. If those group of players within the 90s don't play well, it'll be hard for the Bears to succeed. Well, speaking
2: of that position group, when I think of Vic Fangio, Tom, I think of the linebacker position when he was with the San Francisco 49ers. That was really the meat and potatoes, the identity of his San Francisco defense. Bowman and Willis. And, you know, I mean, all of those guys that he had. Yeah. All those playmakers, now that you mentioned, you know, Leonard Floyd, Roquan Smith was drafted. In your opinion, do you feel he's at the point, Fangio, that he actually now has the personnel at that position where he can maybe get back to that Niner style of defense?
4: Well, you know, he's got two of the four that you mentioned. But, you know, now Danny Trevathan, Nick Kutkowski on the inside, they have to stay healthy. And, and be able to contribute high, high level inside linebacker football between the two of them. And Roquan's got to be the guy that they drafted him to be. But the other guy on the outside of the um, outside linebacker, you know, they brought in Aaron Lynch, who yep. did play with Vic in yeah. San Francisco. He's got the qualities and the looks of everything, you know, six six, two hundred and sixty five 265 pounds outside linebacker. If it clicks for him, he could be a difference maker within this defense. And, again, he's another one of those 90s being number 99 that has to contribute and come in and maybe ask a career year out of him.
0: We're joined by Tom Thayer, radio analyst for the Bears. Tom, I haven't watched Mitch Trubitsky a lot. I watched him coming out of college. I did not watch a lot of his games last year. I'll watch him as we get closer to the Giants-Bears game later on in the season. What type of progress did you see from him from the day he walked in the door to the last day of minicamp of, of his sophomore year? Where has he made the most progress, and where do you see still want to see him take that next step?
4: You know it's all about the knowledge of the offense, and he's able to learn two difficult terminology offenses within the first two seasons he's had in the n f l yeah and you know and that's one thing he's really dedicated because if you really don't know what you're saying, it's going to be hard to do what your talents are, and that's the thing about Mitch is he's contributed to every level where. He's Between Chase Daniel, who they signed to be his backup, and there's been a lot of help with Mark Helfrich, the offensive coordinator, all these people are determined to get Mitch up to speed, and he's also a guy that's willing to invest everything needed out of him. And um, I think the combination between Coach Nagy being a quarterback in the Arena League and understanding the speed of the position and looking at the talents of Mitch, um, I, I, I just think that When you saw him the first day come here and break a huddle, it was all new to him. Now it seems like he's been around the huddle and been at the line of scrimmage like a veteran. So, you know, if it all clicks for him, they're going to be a good offense.
2: Well, speaking of the offense, Tom, you just mentioned offensive coordinator Mark Helfrich. So he comes from that Chip Kelly, Oregon school of thought. And then you have Matt Nagy from the Andy Reid Chiefs school of thought. What do you think this Bears offense is going to look like now that it is his second system for Trubisky in two years?
4: It's going to be unlike anything the Bears have ever seen throughout the history of the offenses that we've (laughs) seen here. It's going to be... um, Multiple multiple weapons at the line of scrimmage. That's going to get you at. It's going to get at you aggressively with NFL defense responsibilities. Well you know when you try to bring that Oregon offense in and you go too fast, and if you don't get first downs, you're just going to wear out your defense. I think this is an offense with a guy like Jordan Howard that has the ability to pound you at the line of scrimmage, but they also get a chance to break the huddle and throw three or four weapons at you on the line of scrimmage. That it's going to be difficult to cover with multiple people. So if Mitch can, you know, occupy all the people there and the the entire width of the field, they will be a dangerous offense.
0: And in order to be a dangerous offense, as the Giants can attest to from last year, you need an offensive line to create space for Jordan Howard and make play action believable and then protect your quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. What's the status of the Bears' offensive line here, and how much confidence do you have in that unit heading into 2018?
4: You know, it's it's kind of weird because, you know, they got a Pro Bowl injured in the wings in Kyle Long. And he could come in here, if he could play 16 games healthy, he could turn this offensive line and have a more dominant interior of the offensive line because he does have great strength and he's got the athleticism, the move to his right and his left. Cody Whitehair has gotten a lot of experience his first two years. He started every game. They went out there and they drafted James Daniels, but they all brought, they also brought in Earl Warford, who's a really good football player, and shows throughout OTAs that if they wanted to tag him as one of the starting offensive guards at the start of camp, I, I think he could accept that responsibility. The offensive tackles are going to be Charles Leno Jr., at left tackle, and Bobby Massey at the right tackle. And, you know, it's all going to be... It's not all going to be, but Kyle Long has a lot to do with the success of the offensive line because he is a powerful guy on the inside.
2: Well, in terms of the offensive line, and John just alluded to this, the running game is so key, especially for the Bears, and I know they're getting a new offensive scheme, Tom, but I mean, if memory serves me correctly, I think the Bears were dead last in passing offense last year, so if anything, they were leaning heavily on the run game last year to give themselves some consistency. Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen, do you see any changes in terms of how they're going to be utilized and how the carries are going to be divvied up coming into this season under a new offense?
4: You know, I I think to run an offense, to be aggressive at the line of scrimmage, you have to have a running back that there's some respect for. And that's what Jordan Howard brings to the table. If you want that, you know, four yards, four yards plus a carry, Jordan can do that, and he can break big runs, and he can carry – 30 times a game. But I, I think the best is yet to come for him. When he gets introduced to an offensive like this, I think Jordan Howard is going to be able to expose more of his talent. But you also have a guy like Tariq Cone and Benny Cunningham in the mix, who is a, a, a creative guy also in the backfield. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they distribute reps in the backfield. And I think Jordan Howard will still be the emphasis back. And, um, but I think there's going to be a lot more decisions that are going to be made at the wide receiver and tight end position.
0: A final question on the offense for me, Tom. Anthony Miller, I know he was coming off that broken foot at Memphis. How much did he even do in the spring? Was he on the field at all for mandatory minicamp, or are you really going to get your first taste of him uh, when the players are in
4: about a week? You know, he was out there, but all that non-pad stuff is – you know, it's not very—it's not a very realistic introduction to football, but I love what I see out of Anthony Miller because, I mean, here's a guy that the Bears fans have been starved for. To have a guy like, when you consider his commitment to the sport, being a walk-on and getting him to the level that he's been and the confidence that he walks around with, I think that he'll come in the first day of padded practice in the NFL with that confidence, and, and hopefully he's going to be one of the big contributors that... Not any of us know a lot about yet.
2: We are previewing the Chicago Bears Giants 2018 opponent with Tom Thayer, Bears radio analyst. And Tom, speaking of players staying healthy, It's interesting that the Bears secondary has a very familiar name to Giants fans, and that is Prince Amukamara, who just came off his first season with Chicago, played 14 games when he played here with the Giants. Staying healthy was a major issue for him. I'm curious, what did you see out of Prince last year? I know the team re-signed him, and how much more upside do you think he has, even though he's an established vet?
4: You know, to me, a lot of the upside for the defensive backs, either it's Prince of Mukumar or Kyle Fuller, who they went and re-signed, it's going to be out of how much pressure that the front can get on the quarterback. If they make Prince or any of the defensive backs sit there and cover for four-plus seconds or, or any three-high-plus seconds, it's going to be difficult for them. So Prince went out there and went out on the limb, and he said he expects high interceptions this year. So, He's not only not put a target on him, but when you go against Aaron Rodgers and you go against Matthew Stafford, and you're going to go against you know the Minnesota Vikings a couple times a year, um, it'd be nice to go in there and be humble and just let the work speak for itself.
0: It's funny, you know, Prince was never one to be very boastful. Here, I'm surprised he, <laughs> of, he <laughs> of all people who is, re-
4: and he's really a nice kid, like, Tom. You know what, he's I the like nicest. My, my exchanges with Prince, he's a, he's a super oh yeah genial guy, and I I, I like you know, him being a teammate
0: here. Although Prince is awesome, and frankly, I think one of his issues here is that he didn't really have that, you know, overwhelming outward confidence that I think you see from some from a, from, from some NFL players. He kind of has a unique personality, so it's, I think it's a good thing to see him have that little more of an outward confidence because he's such a nice kid. He's from a good family, like you said. Um, I asked you this yeah. question. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Tom. No, I, you know, there's a
4: little bit more of a contagious confidence going around right now in the facility. And I know it's easy to do when a new coach is coming in here and creating that atmosphere, but there is a certain sense of belief that these guys, are, what they're doing on the practice field, is being directed in the right effort to to win and winning soon.
0: I will ask this question, understanding that you can't tell Jack, you know what, about linebacker play when there's no pads and there's no hitting, but did you have any wow moments watching Roquan Smith just run around, basically a 220-pound linebacker that runs like a safety?
4: Yeah. You know, to me, I was, you know, the reality of Roquan kind of, when Danny Trevathan got here and I was watching him, because Danny runs really well sideline to sideline, and then I kind of said, wow, if you had two of these guys running this well in the interior of this defense, it would be a whole different ball game." So, yeah, you know, then you kind of put yourself, okay, I practiced against Mike Singletary for nine years. <laughs> you know, what's the difference between the two? And you kind of start putting those types of thoughts in your head.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and Just as, as an overarching question, Tom, when you get a new head coach in the building, and we've seen this with the Giants, this is now their third different head coach in the in the last four seasons. The whole mood changes. The way you go about your business changes. Everything is different. What kind of impact has Matt Nagy had on that building, on how they're operating, and just how the whole machine kind of comes together?
4: Well, you know, a, a lot of the, you know, the whole – bringing Matt Nagy in spearheaded by Ryan Pace, who's also a young energy inside the building himself. And so then you let Matt Nagy get in front of the team and you start listening to his message and how they're going to accomplish the ultimate task And every point of it is believable. And he understands how explain it to these level of players that, you know, they're all meaningful points and then you take it out on the field and you see his energy on the field how he concentrates in his energy to what position the um, understanding on the defensive side of the ball, that he was willing to bring Vic Fangio here that really settled a portion of that room and continued that part of it in in a positive direction. So everything he's done, um, you know, it's, it's been the, the right step and he said the right thing and everything is computed into a positive atmosphere. And, it's it's going to be a positive momentum going into
0: camp. All right, Tom, great stuff. We appreciate the time. Enjoy your one more week of freedom until everyone gets back in here. and we're all working seven days a week for six months. It's fun, but it's (laughs) a lot. Enjoy it. We appreciate the time today, and we'll see you at the end of the year. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks for
4: having me. See you guys.
2: Tom Thayer, radio analyst for the Chicago Bears, does an excellent job. Good information there from Tom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is an intriguing team. I think that's the best way to describe them, John. And I think Tom even touched on it. Yeah. You got a lot of potential. You got a lot of youth. You have a new offensive scheme. I know they're very excited about what Matt Nagy brings to the table. And, and basically, Tom emphasized that. And I mean, if things click, you know, the Bears could be maybe what Jacksonville and San Francisco became over the last year or two, meaning they don't make the playoffs, but they make enough of a push or a step forward that you're thinking two years from now. Maybe Chicago's knocking on the door for a wild-card spot. Yeah, I mean, I I hesitate to say the Jaguars and Rams only because they both
0: took such big jumps. They went from being in the top five in the draft to, you know, winning
2: their divisions. I don't think the Bears are there yet. Well, but I think wild-card, I think, could be within the conversation. And within reach, I two think years from now? Two, Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking not about this season. Yet. No, not at all. Well, no, and I think the Rams season, and
0: the Jaguars kind of went from terrible to awesome in one year. I think the Bears are going to have a little bit of another mini step in between. Well, uh, I mean?
2: Jacksonville, and, and I'll bring up the numbers. I thought Jacksonville sort of had a little baby step in between. Because if I recall, I know a lot of people were high on Jacksonville, and then they sort of disappointed. And then last year, everything seemed to click. So uh, that's why I'm looking at that parallel to Chicago, where, you know, everybody's not necessarily high and jumping on the Bears bandwagon, but there's potential. There's upside there. You know, maybe we see movement in well, the right direction. The Jaguars did pick and fourth
0: then, in the 2017 draft. So it wasn't that much of a It st- wasn't that Okay. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I, I,
2: I, I'm i looking at it more in terms of just production, right. respectability, competitiveness. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, you. you know, I mean, they were the type of team you'd love to have them on your schedule, John. And then all of a sudden, in the last two years, no. All of a sudden, somewhat of a challenge. And look, a lot of it's going to be Mitchell Trubisky.
0: How much of a jump can he take in a second year? As Tom yeah. pointed out, I thought it was a great point. You know, you're changing offenses, you know, it's tough for a rookie to go two offenses in two years. How quickly could he make that adjustment? But at the same time, you know, Matt Nagy's coming from Kansas City, where he worked for Andy Reid, and who knows how to make it easy for quarterbacks and who knows how to run an offense that has had sustained success in the league like Andy Reid, and that's where Matt is coming from. So I'm happy I didn't call him Charles Nagy, by the way. But for some reason, when I hear Nagy, I want to say <laughs> yeah. Charles Nagy, the Indians pitcher from the 90s. Yes. I, didn't, I was very proud of myself for not doing that. Congratulations. But, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's a good – program to be coming from, given the sustained success Andy Regas had, Andy Reed has had in the league as a guy who runs an offense.
2: Well, I thought what you were going to touch on, another good connection for Nagy, is he was working with Patrick Mahomes, and now he's working with another young quarterback. Well, we'll see how well he worked with Patrick Mahomes. I know well, the, but everyone's super excited, They but are. I like to see it before. I but break. I guess I'm just looking at it, you have experience with a young guy oh, yeah, sure. and grooming him. Speaking of, real quickly, side note before we get back to yeah. the lines about... Uh, Misinterpreting names and so forth. I had, and, and by the way, Bruce in California, we'll get to you in a second. Had Bob McAdoo on my uh, serious program. No, 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 but my producer, when he picks up the phone, he says, Oh, Ben, we really appreciate you on the program. So I'm like, Oh, I was I was cracking up. And I had the a funny nice thing, laugh at the, here, of the production.
0: Especially when he first got here, people would call oh, Ben McAdoo Bob McAdoo, McAdoo all yeah. the time.
2: Yeah. But there's a distinct difference between Bob McAdoo and Bob. Physically, yes. Physically. In every way possible. Exactly. Talent wise. (laughs) And I'm talking about basketball skill set, of course. Yes. Yes. And Bob McAdoo (laughs) also is a quite big, large man, the last time I checked. Okay,
0: yes, he's just a little bit taller than Ben Beckett. Yes, <laughs> just a little yeah, bit. just a tad. Yeah, just a tad. Absolutely. So I thought
2: that was interesting, considering your Charles Nagy yes. anecdote. Anyway, well, back to you hear that? Earth. You
0: hear that last name and or any name, yeah, and then you just want to connect it's it. It's synonymous the, to with, the, especially if it's a unique name that you don't hear very often, and it just yep. goes Charles Nagy. Matt Nagy. Nagy, and, and it's still yes. one syllable thing. So it's, anyway, all right, we got seven minutes. We could take a couple calls, squeeze the folks in. Bruce in California is up. He's with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Bruce, what's going on?
5: Hey, how you guys doing? We're good. I appreciate uh, you and Lance, John. Uh, it's, it makes the, it makes it interesting in the off season. So appreciate, I appreciate that. your Thanks effort. For well, thank you for listening. Hey, I, I wanted to I wanted to tell you ask you something and, and give you a, a thought on on your uh, pro football focus guest of a couple weeks ago. Sure. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's uh, particularly for us uh, Giants fans who sometimes uh, don't get grounded in facts. It's really helpful to have kind of a statistical grounding to uh, to match some of our enthusiasm so we can kind of put it into context, you know. Um, the only thing that um, that I found kind of a little interesting, and, and it's sort of maybe the question or doubt I have about the, the totality or the complete att- attention to, to, to statistics is, you know, a lot of times they're not putting any attention to intangibles, to things that are interrelated, um, and so – the, the 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 commitment he had to uh, the negative interpretation of run versus pass, I thought he overdid it a little bit. You know, like when he said that he, if if he were a defensive coordinator, he would only defend pass and not worry about run. And you know, I, I guess my my thought about that is it it sort of violates some of the premises of a lot of uh, well, you know, you, offensive coordinators say you have, like our particularly our current coach says you have to establish the run, and he's dedicated to that, and then defensive coordinators always say you have to stop the run before anything else so it's like the idea of making the 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 pass it, it kind of reminded me of a young guy who would want to put all of his money into super high te- tech <laughs> and not any diversification you know you've got to have a, a mixture or you're going to become predictable which is the ultimate death knell you know in, yeah. in the nfl yeah, you what? Know, so and, I, and, I, I just wanted to get your guys interpretation of of whether you thought his, his super negative um, uh, consideration of run and runners, uh, what what your what your feelings were on that? Yeah, and
0: you know it's funny, and I think he's projecting what how an NFL defense would succeed if they just ran out nickel and dime every play. and said, if you want to run, run. I don't care. And I think. Until we see a team do it and see whether it works, we don't know if that statistical projection is going to be accurate or not. Um, I, In my opinion, and I think I think I asked him this question. It was a couple weeks ago now. I think there is a point of no return where – the and I think I did ask him the question. There's a basis in the NFL, and a big part of what offense and defensive coordinators doing are trying to create matchups. You're trying to get – your personnel package up against another personnel package that gives you the advantage, all right? So if you're uh, the Giants, you want to get three wide receivers on the field when the other team has three linebackers on the field because that's going to get you a mismatch that can help you win. And in my opinion, the running game and the threat of a good running game specifically makes it easier for an offensive coordinator to put defenses into bad matchups, whether it's, you know, keeping them in base defense, motioning out Barkley or Ingram and getting a one-on-one with the linebacker. If the other teams in nickel and dime constantly, then, you know what, that sort of stuff's not going to work because if they motion out, there's just going to be another defensive back there and you don't have the m- mismatch you're looking for. So I tend to go more towards you, Bruce, and I was, and I was trying to fight him a little bit because – He's run the numbers a lot, and I've talked to the pro football focus guys, and we've had Steve Palazzolo and Sam Monson, who's on the football side of things for them, that watch all the tape. And they even said to me, when we spoke to him shortly after the draft, they go, our analytics guys will tell us you should never run the ball. And they will tell us that, but we fight them on it yeah. because we think there is um, a fundamental advantage of running the ball well that helps in ways the numbers can't calculate. That's the side of the equation that I fall on as well. I do believe, however, that when push comes to shove, having a good quarterback and a good passing game has a far bigger impact on your ability to win games than having a good running game. I do think the passing game is much more important, but I do believe in order to to get those matchups you're looking for, and to put your offense in a good position to succeed i think having a running game that especially can strike fear into an opponent does have its uses that are that's very difficult to calculate from a numbers perspective, that's well, how I look at. You it. You
2: certainly need the quarterback for an execution standpoint, late game situations. But I think it's well documented, Bruce, that if you look at the teams that make the deepest postseason runs, it's the teams that have established run games. Yeah, but I so think that's the, what argument, the analytics don't yeah. necessarily show. No, but the argument the against
0: that is that they're they're tops in the league in running the football because they're winning games because of the passing game and running the game, running the ball in the second half. Because they have to the, clock. That, the yes. other
5: intangible that I, I think is very hard to pick up in statistics is you know what happens if you're controlling the clock significantly by having a running game what What does that do for your defense you know I mean yeah, uh, you look at a lot of teams that that'll pass and, and score a lot, but the defense a lot of times you know gets wiped out i mean and, and, and if you can't run the ball and you can't control the clock you put much more pressure on your defense no, you know Bruce, which, that, that, which we yeah. saw last year no, so Bruce, that's true. i mean i i i just think uh, i just think it's sort of it's it's dangerous when you take conclusions from just Analytic numbers that you're looking disaggregated and across the whole the whole football, and you're not picking up some of the other things that really do matter a great deal. And you can kind of you can talk yourself into 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 a crazy conclusion if all you do is looking at those numbers. You know, I agree hundred
0: percent. The numbers have to be yeah. a tool in the toolbox that you use in conjunction with the other stuff. But I want to give you one other side of the coin very, coin very quickly. And I saw this with the Jaguars last year, and I saw it with Dallas last year, and a couple of years ago. I've seen those guys uh, in the first half of a football game win the time of possession battle 22 to 8. But because they fail in the red zone twice, they absolutely dominated the first half of the game. But they're only winning 6 nothing because they held the ball oh, for two 8 to 10 minute possessions. Oh, yeah. Good Didn't get in the end zone. But there's still not even a touchdown ahead because a passing attack, where you, especially if you make bigger plays down the field, Better chance of getting into the end zone than methodically getting four yards, five yards, six yards, True. you know, whatever, whatever. Well, you know time, of p-
2: time of possession is only effective in terms of you translating that to points. Correct. I always say that because to what you just explained, John, is there are teams that you could win the time of possession by seven or eight minutes, but if it doesn't lead to points, at least the field goals, the other team can march down the field, score two quick touchdowns. For example, you know what's a good example? What was it a few years ago? It was Dak Prescott's first game. Giants, Cowboys opened up. In Dallas. Cowboys were dominating time of possession in the first half. They were pounding the ball with Elliott. They were wearing it down. Eli hit Sterling Shepard right before the half. And right. the Giants went into the locker room with a lead. But they were behind and tremendously you know in time Even and better,
0: Tom. I, Bruce, I, I'm, I'm going to bring us back. To the 2007 playoffs, if you remember mm-hmm. the second-round game when the Giants played the Cowboys, what, a Marion Barber of, like, 140 yards in the first half of that game?
5: But I the, recall, yeah. And mm-hmm. then,
0: but Amani Toomer had that, had that one touchdown. catch for 60 yeah. yards, and all of a sudden, Marion Barber's 160 well, yards at, don't mean a hill of beans because it was only a three-point correct. game Correct, and in that's the half. how
2: things balance out. Right. So, you know, you can't just look right. at time of possession saying, oh, well, right. if we consistently win time of possession, we're going to win football games. You clearly need the execution to pad mm-hmm. and contemplate Compliment the time of possession. But I I will say this. I've seen seasons where Aaron Rodgers could do all of the dazzling plays, and they've had no running game, and that's the reason why they didn't get to the Super Bowl.
0: Uh, I think it's more with the defense
2: and the running game. Well, yeah, but if you remember the year they won the Super Bowl, John, when they beat the Steelers, that running game was a huge part. James Starks against Philadelphia. They went into Philadelphia. He ran the ball like I've never seen a Green Bay Packers running back, even going back to Amon Green. That's how good he was, and that was such a big difference maker in terms of helping them win the Super Bowl that year. Bruce, we got to run, man.
5: Okay, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, appreciate the
0: call. Good questions, good points. And I I know you're very busy. I want you to go back and listen to that show with Charuri, with the statistical stuff, because I think it does bring some interesting self-examination on some of the traditional cliches that we throw out there with football that maybe aren't as accurate as we think they are, and I think it's a very interesting thing to look at. I would definitely, no, I, I definitely
2: I, will uh, go back and yeah, listen to that. I just I think you'd be hard-pressed, though, John to speak to the majority of coaches in the NFL and agree with that statistical analysis that it's better to throw the ball much more it is to run the football. Well, I'm
0: sure if you talk to baseball managers in the 80s and you ask them, should you never bump the baseball, they'd tell you you were crazy, too. Well,
2: I get it. The game has evolved. but That's I, all I'm saying. I'm just saying from the eye test, which I also think is an important part of analyzing football, Shortest. can't just be all numbers, I can't remember seeing a team win the Super Bowl where they absolutely had no running game or there was no semblance of a running game and it was just let's chuck the ball down the field. Because even that year when the Broncos won, they had Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was a shell of himself that year because of the neck and the back injuries. They ran the ball, yeah, and but they played defense. They will because their defense. Well, no, but, because the run, but, but the running game and the defense, the combination of those two is why the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Folks. that running game was key, too. Thank you for joining
0: us. Uh, tomorrow we'll be doing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we'll have um, Sam Beals' head coach at Western Michigan, Tim Lester, joining us as well. Make sure you tune in. John Schmelk, Lance Meta. we'll be back with you tomorrow. Thank you for being with us. Have a great day. Have a good one.